0: that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I heard former American ambassador to the United Nations, Mr. John Bolton, on television yesterday. He was asked to comment on a piece in a UK newspaper in which former British Prime Minister John Major wrote that he believes that there is not a worldwide problem with Islam, there is rather a problem within Islam." In other words, Mr. Bolton says that Mr. Major has shown tremendous courage as a world leader in going public saying that there is a fundamental problem within Islam, and specifically the set called radical Islamists who hide behind their faith but practice their strain of terror throughout the world particularly the Western world and especially the United States, sometimes the UK. Then Mr. Bolton went on to say something very interesting. He said the Western governments, especially the USA, must come to terms with the reality of these radical Islamic groups, that they certainly exist, he said, and they exist to do them harm, to kill United States citizens wherever they can. He said, you cannot expect to defeat an enemy if you do not even admit that that enemy exists. I found that interesting and profound. It is so obvious, yet it is also true of so many things around us every day. You cannot expect to defeat an enemy if you do not admit that that enemy exists. For what it's worth, Mr. Bolton, I agree with you. From a distance, in my humble opinion, the current position of America seems to be a refusal to admit that terrorism still exists, that there are radical Islamists within the Islamic faith and that they live to kill Americans. This leaves many mission-critical events inadequately prepared and introduces delays in responding when something does happen in the world of terror. As I was pondering these issues and weighing in on Mr. Bolton's words, A thought gradually formed in my head, and ever so slowly the mist cleared away to leave another comparison in my mind. I'll share this with you in a moment. I've been making a point overheard on a television interview with Mr. John Bolton, former ambassador to the United Nations for the US. His interesting observation in that interview grabbed my interest. He said, and I paraphrase a little, one cannot expect to defeat an enemy if you do not accept that that enemy exists. In other words, how can America hope to defeat radical Islam if the government of America does not even admit that radical Islam exists? In my mind, a comparison formed that I think has some similarities and a similarly startling conclusion. It concerns the world of spiritual warfare and the born-again believer. From the newest convert to the more mature and experienced Christian, everyone should be given a clear and present understanding and appreciation of the supernatural. The Apostle Paul wrote that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers unseen in the world around us. So with this in mind, my corollary must be, if we do not admit that they exist, these principalities and unseen powers, how can we ever hope to defeat them? And now with this message for today, here's our pastor,
1: Alan Lee. Good morning. Greetings again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we resume our summary discussion on the biblical perspective on stem cell research and abortion. Time does not allow for us to review what we discussed last time, other than to say that we broadly discuss both the moral and economic implications of these current issues, especially that of stem cell research. These pose somewhat of a moral dilemma for many Christians today. We concluded that both of these issues ask one underlying question – when does human life begin? The pro-abortionists deny that a fetus in a mother's womb is a human being, and in fact, that even if it is, it is not a person. And so killing the fetus is not murder, they say, it is simply the cessation of a pregnancy and the removal of an appendage to the mother, like an appendix or even a tumor. The fetus, as far as they are concerned, is just a mass of unwanted and unnecessary cells. Or, as one pro-abortionist graphically said, it is simply the throwing out of a mother's car, her body, an unwanted passenger, the baby. But now let's look briefly at the biblical concept of humanness. Genesis 2-7 gives us the origin of mankind. Notice what it says, and I quote, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And so physically or materially speaking, man is dust or clay. But personally, he was formed by God. To survive, man must ingest minerals from the earth. And at death, his body becomes a part of the earth again. But the text continues, And God breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. Now, the phrase breath of life in this passage means that man's breath is a manifestation of life given by God. Job voices the same truth when he says in Job twenty-seven three, and I quote, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God is in my nostrils. The text goes on and says, and man became a living being or as some version says a living soul i want you to notice this now the soul is the result of the union of the breath of life with the clay or dust formed by god materially so literally speaking soul simply means animated substance man then really does not have a soul he is a soul Soul, therefore, is not a distinct part of man's being, but rather it describes his physical or material body animated or made alive with the life or breath of God himself. But all of this is also said of animals, for instance, listen to what God says in genesis six seventeen Quote, "I am going to bring flood waters on the earth." to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Notice also what the Spirit of God says in Psalm 104, verse 25. I quote again, There is a sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small, When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. What then makes man unique? What makes his humanness unique? Man, as a human being, a homo sapiens, is unique because he is made in the image of God. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Man is said to be created in the image of God. But now exactly what does this mean? How is man made in the image of God? Well, we know that it cannot refer to man's physical being because scriptures are quite clear on the fact that God is spirit, not that he is a spirit, meaning he is a spirit amongst all other spirits, but that his essence, his nature is spirit. Listen to John 4:24, Jesus speaking. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Isaiah says the same thing in chapter 21 verse 3 of his prophecy. The Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. And so man's dignity or value is above animals and cannot be attributed to mere physical qualities. God makes this clear in Genesis 9, 5, where he says, and I quote again, And for you, your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man also. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. End of quote. By the way, this is the biblical or theological basis for capital punishment. Man's value and dignity are based upon the fact that he is made in the image of God. Our anatomy and physiology are suited to our earthly environment. Therefore, the image of God must refer to man's spiritual or immaterial nature. It denotes man as being a spiritual, rational, and moral being who is able to relate to God on a personal level because God as a person also has these characteristics. Now, in contrast to animals that behave instinctively and mechanistically, man is created as a moral being, concerned about distinguishing between right and wrong, and has values, meaning, and morals and so now the question becomes does the bible teach that the fetus in the mother's womb is made in the image of god that is that it is a spiritual rational and moral being by nature at conception if it does then it must be concluded that the fetus is in actual fact a human being if the scriptures does not teach this or is silent on the matter, then no biblical support is available to absolutely support the concept that the fetus is a human being. So, let's look then at the nature of the fetus according to the Word of God. First, the physical body. Here's what Job says about this in Job 10, verses 8 through 12. And I quote, Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life and showed me kindness. In your providence watched over my spirit. Listen also to Psalm 139, reading from verse 13, quote, were written in your book before one of them came to be." End of quote. The fetus therefore is created by God through the sexual relationship of the father and mother. He does not create the fetus out of nothing. Life is therefore transmitted or mediated to the fetus by God through his or her parents. Each individual life is not an immediate creation of God. It is immediate creation through the reproductive process between male and female. Secondly, consider the concept of biological life. The Bible teaches that the human race is a biological unity. Listen to Paul in Acts chapter 17 verse 26. From one man God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them And the exact places where they should live. End of quote. Now this would not be true if each life was a distinct out of nothing creation by God. This means therefore that man's breath which is associated with life at the creation of the first man, Adam, is a manifestation or evidence of life, not the beginning of life. Even as leaves are the evidence of life in a tree during spring and summer, as compared to winter when it is dormant, but it is alive nonetheless. Now, based on these biblical facts, we can assuredly conclude that the fetus in the mother's womb consists of a physical body personally fashioned by God, and it has biological life derived mediatorily from God through his or her parents, which is passed on through them and is present at the time of conception. But now, what about the immaterial or moral aspect of the image of God in human beings? Here also, the Bible teaches that human sinful nature is transmitted through one's parents. Listen to Job in Job 14.4. Who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. And also chapter 15, verse 14, he says, What is man that he could be pure or one born of a woman, that he could be righteous. He's speaking here about the moral aspect or nature of the human being. And Paul says in Romans 7, verse 23, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. David says in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth, Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. End of quote. This means when he is in the mother's womb. David says that he was sinful from the very moment of his conception and that the moral law of God was within him all the while he was in his mother's womb. God taught him truth even when he was a fetus in his mother's womb. And so our conclusion is quite automatic. Biblically speaking, God's image in man was passed on seminally by Adam, and on the basis of inherited sin, passed on mediatorily from Adam through one's immediate parents. And the fetus is a spiritual, moral, sinful human being at the time of conception. And so, based on our overall study, we can conclude that the Bible teaches on both theological and exegetical grounds that the body, life, and moral or spiritual faculty of man originate simultaneously at conception. The fetus in the mother's womb, therefore, is not merely a potential person or human being, but a full human being made in the image of God, and therefore he or she is a true person with potential at the time of conception. It follows, therefore, that because murder, both by biblical and legal definition, means the premeditated killing of a human being apart from self-defense, war, or the unlawful taking of another life, that abortion on demand is an actual fact, fetocide on demand. Abortion, therefore, is not merely the termination of a pregnancy. Abortion is the termination of the life of a human being made in the image of God. Now, we will look at the implication of this teaching next time, Lord willing. But as we close today, please be reminded that upon confession of sin, no matter what sin you might have committed in the past, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And so, no matter what your past... If you acknowledge your sin, your own Christ as your Savior, God on the basis of the shed blood of Christ will forgive you and cleanse you from both the guilt and stain of sin. May God grant that we all avail ourselves of such a gracious provision in Jesus Christ. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things.
2: happy When the Savior comes from when his blessed face we see
0: You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as Echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, Keep listening for that shout. Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay,
2: hold oh, the fort a little longer, in your struggle over sin. Trust the great commander's promise, he will surely come.